The number one question we've had in this uh, Uncovering the Mystery series is why did you and Nick have hair on your Memoji? Uh, the answer to that is because we could. Uh, and uh, secondly, so you could recognize us in heaven when we have our glorified bodies because that's, we'll, that's how we'll look like. We want you to go ahead and be able to have a heads up because you can walk right past us, not even see, Tavia, and you'd miss me. Did you see the highlights too? I don't know if you noticed that. Anyways, hey man, we are so glad you're here. If you're watching online, uh, we, are, we are super excited that uh, you're here. Uh, watching with us. We had a guy in the first service today that flew 800 miles to be here this weekend. He's come to faith in Christ, watches online, and was baptized. So just really, really awesome. It's been a, been a good day. I'm excited about it. Before we jump in and, and get going with the message, uh, I want to do something just really quickly. Ray Moss, Ray has uh, been a part of our staff for 14 years and he is retiring at the end of this month, and he's just done an amazing job here. So many of the things that are kind of systems and structures and sort of the organization of New Vision, Ray has been so instrumental in, and, and now with our biblical counseling ministry that God is using in a powerful way, uh, Ray was really the architect of that, and so he's going to be out in the foyer, he and Sharon, and uh, I'd love for you just to get a chance today at the end of the service, just go by and, and uh, let him know how much their ministry has meant to you guys, so we just love him or celebrating him. You know, and, and here's an interesting thing. He's the first guy to ever retire from New Vision. We've never had anyone retire from the church. We thought about it. We had a retirement dinner on Friday nights. First time we've ever done that. Now, here's the thing. Nobody stayed with us long enough to retire. After a while, they're like, man, we're out. So anyways, so Ray's hung in there for 14 years. So uh, he's still going to be around here at the church, but he's going to enjoy his retirement. So I know you'll celebrate with him. Hey, uh, today I want to do something. You have your Bible, um, John chapter 11, and we're looking at these I am statements that Jesus made. He makes seven I am statements. He literally says, I am, we saw in the previous week, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, uh, and the life. Uh, today we're going to, uh, I am the good shepherd a couple weeks ago. And then today we're going to see his final I am statement. We still have one more week in this series, but where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now when he made this I am statement, uh, the Jews who would be listening to him would immediately hearken back to uh, Exodus when Moses is about to go speak to Pharaoh and, and he says to God, who should I say sent me? And the Lord says, tell him, I am who I am sent you. So when Jesus makes these I am statements, people would understand that he is the long-awaited Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And so that's what's going on there. And so as we understand these I am statements, here's what happens is we begin to understand a little bit more of the mystery of of God, and not only who He is, but what He wants to do in our life, okay? And so we're going to talk about that uh, today, and here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about closing the belief gap. I uh, shared this with our staff, some of our staff on Tuesday, uh, kind of a pre-message. I sort of preached through it, and they said, we don't understand what you're talking about. I preached it Thursday night. I don't think they did either, and this is about my fourth time to preach this message. So I'm hope finally that you guys can understand what we're talking about because you're going to see it in this in this text. Let's let's start with a picture here, Grand Canyon. Some of you have been there, Grand Canyon. At, at some level, there's a massive gap from one side to the other, right? Everybody sees that, but what we have in our life many times is we have a belief gap, and you say, what do you mean by a belief gap? In other words, what we say we believe, in some ways, is not truly what we 
really believe uh, in our life. Sometimes we have some Sunday school answers or some things that we would say we believe on Sunday morning, but as we kind of make our way through our life, it's not exactly what we really, really believe. And, and that's true in other areas of our life. There's belief gaps in other areas. Like maybe last night you were just kind of on Facebook and you saw one of your friends and they posted pictures from a five-star restaurant in Germantown. You're taking your kids through Chick-fil-A thinking, man, this doesn't seem right. And you know that they don't eat at a five-star restaurant in Germantown every night. That's not the way their life is every night. It's just what they post on social media, but you still begin to kind of get a little jealous and get a little, little bitter. And so it's kind of this idea of sort of a, a formal belief and then our functional belief that we live out. Our, this is vacation season, right? So everybody's on vacation uh, right now. And so you're getting pictures from somebody from Cozumel. They're having lobster overlooking the sea. And uh, you're at Cedars of Lebanon, you know, roasting hot dogs. And you're like, really? I mean, what, what, what gifts here? And so that begins to affect you. Now, you know that they don't spend every day of their life in Cozumel, but we kind of, we sort of live that, live that out. And so we're, we're going to see that today. Kind of the difference between sort of a Sunday school answer or Sunday school belief and our real beliefs. And, and here's the thing. You might say, well, why is this so important? This is incredibly important because our beliefs are foundational to everything in our lives. Your, your, your beliefs are going to drive your thoughts. Your beliefs are going to drive your emotions. And your beliefs are going to drive your behavior. So listen, if, we, if we, we don't believe correctly, everybody would say, well, yeah, it's so important that we believe correctly. I want us to push into our beliefs just a little bit more because sometimes what we really might say we believe, there's a gap between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. And we're going to see a character in the story today, Martha, in a story, the sister of Lazarus, a story that you're probably familiar with. We're going to see that even though she loved Jesus, had a relationship with Jesus, there were some gaps in her belief. And so I don't want anybody to feel guilty and, and, and feel any kind of shame. We all have gaps in our belief. Does that make sense? And so I really think the key to walking greater levels of freedom with the Lord is letting God really begin to close the gaps that we have in our belief. So let, let's, uh, let's take a look at this passage now. John chapter 11. Here we go. It says, uh, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose uh, brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now let's stop here for just a second. And just a reminder, and you may be familiar with this story. And by the way, if you look at the story uh, you know, of the uh, resurrection of Lazarus, uh, there are a hundred different messages that we could preach from this, and we're going to look at it through one angle today. We're going to look at it through the lens of really Martha's gap in her belief. But here's what I want you to see as we get started. These are insiders. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are insiders. They aren't just part of this extended crowd who kind of knew about Jesus and, and would listen to Jesus teach. Jesus literally stayed in, in their home uh, when he was coming to Jerusalem sometimes. That's how close they are. And, and they're saying, Jesus, the one that you love is... Is, is, is sick. In other words, Jesus, we know you've healed so many people, people that you didn't even know, but now here's somebody that you know and somebody that you love, so we're going to need you to come on down and heal Lazarus. And they had an expectation that he would, he would do that, right? So let's pick up. Now in verse 4, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I want us to stop. I want us to go back and I want to show you three things in verse 4 that are very, very important that Jesus is saying. In fact, if you can understand these, it will really make a difference, especially in the difficult moments in your life. 
Jesus says, the sickness, this sickness, the sickness that Lazarus has will not end in death. Now, let's think about that. I mean, you, if, if you had the privilege of growing up in church, you know the story of Lazarus. He, Lazarus, what? He, he dies. And so what is Jesus talking about? Jesus sees the end from the beginning. Jesus understands and is, he's already pointing to what he's going to do when he brings Lazarus out of the tomb. Now, that, here's the second thing. He says, no, it is for God's glory, meaning that when, when Lazarus is called out of the grave... When he is resurrected, then God is going to be glorified, and people are going to see the power of God. And think about this. I mean, if you were there, here's a dude who's been dead for four days, and Jesus walks up and calls him by name, and he walks out. I mean, you're going to stop for a moment and go, all right. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's some power, right? That's an, that's an amazing thing. And then the last part that we don't talk about, so Jesus is going to use this to grow people's faith so that they can see the power and the glory of God. But look at the last part of verse 4. So that God's Son, which is Jesus, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Here's a part that we don't talk about very much. This miracle of calling Lazarus out of the grave, Lazarus was a very prominent person. We're going to see that Lazarus lived about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So it was the resurrection of Lazarus, many Bible scholars say, that was the event that just triggered the, the, the Jews to ultimately send Jesus to the cross, which was the purpose that he came for anyway. So God uses the resurrection of Lazarus for, for all of us today. It's, it's an event that sent Jesus to the cross so that you and I might be forgiven. So what's the point to verse 4? There's a whole lot more going on in what Jesus was going to do than anything Mary and Martha could have ever begun to get their mind around. All right? Now verse 5. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Does that bother anybody? Verse 6. Let's look at it. Let's wrestle with the Word of God. Does it bother you that Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he intentionally delayed two more days? Does anybody? Would it bother you? Has it bothered you at times when you really needed God to show up in your life and for some reason it just seems like he delays? Has that bothered you? Of course it bothers you, right? And so as we study the Scripture, what we're going to see in this story is Jesus' delay is not because of his disinterest. It is because of a far greater divine purpose. Do you see that? And so that will really help you or it could help you in the moments where it feels like God is delaying. It seems like he's disinterested or it could be a part of God's divine purpose. Uh, let's look on down starting in verse 17. Skip ahead. On his arrival, in other words, Jesus arrives uh, now in Bethany uh, where Lazarus was. Jesus uh, found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he's gone. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Again, Sometimes we wonder, why, does, why do the gospel writers uh, put these kind of things in there? Why do we need to know that Bethany's only two miles um, outside of Jerusalem? Well, a couple things. I think John is showing what a high-profile miracle this was. In fact, of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the only one that mentions this story. Many people say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't mention this story because they write their gospel accounts so close to the actual events, and Lazarus is, is still alive. It would elicit even, even more hardship to, to Lazarus. So he's showing the significance of the, this miracle. Verse 19, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Again, a high-profile person. Verse 20, here we go. Now, here it is. Now we're about to see a person in the story, Martha, who loves Jesus, and her, her belief gap is going to be exposed. And we're going we're gonna to pull some truths from this account that I really hope could help you because somebody here today could leave in a greater level of free, with a greater level of freedom than you ever have had in your life. And wouldn't that be worth our time here today?
right? So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And if you studied the Gospels, there's an account where Jesus is in Mary and Mar- that he's there at Mary and Martha's home. Mar- Martha's up preparing food. Do you remember that story? She goes to Jesus because Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet listening, and Martha's, she's mad. She goes and tells on her sister, tells Jesus that, you know, tell my sister to get up and get busy. And so they, the, the point is they had kind of different personalities, Right? Mary is uh, very introspective, right? She's sitting and she's waiting. Well, Martha, she's going to go give Jesus a little piece of her, her mind. Everybody's got a Martha in their family, right? You're like, no, we don't have one. That's because you are the one. <laughs> Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What is she really saying? Jesus, it's your, it's your fault. <laughs> That's pretty arrogant, isn't it? Right? You think about that. You know what? Jesus, let me tell you how to run things, Right? Uh, instead of hanging around up in Galilee with your disciples, were you guys fishing? What was going on? You should have been here. And see, many times if we're not careful, we, we've got a better way for God to run this world and run our life. So Mary, Mary, Martha, in some ways, she blames Jesus. Now, watch this. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Sounds good. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Listen to Martha's answer. I know he will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. Martha's got the right Sunday school answers, doesn't she? I mean, she knows the stuff, right? I mean, she says the right things, but we're going to see that there was a gap between what Martha said she believed and what she actually believed, right? There was a belief gap there. My point is I have belief gaps in my life, and I believe one of the things that the Lord wants to do is reveal them and close the belief gap in your life. Listen to how Jesus responds to her, an amazing answer. Martha had just says, I know, he's gonna, I know he'll be resurrected in the last days. In other words, she says, I know, I, I, I grew up in Saturday school. I know at the end of the day there's going to be a great resurrection. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's saying, Martha, resurrection is not a future event. It's a real person who's in your presence right now. I am resurrection. Can you imagine the magnitude of that statement? greatest fear, death, I am resurrection. I am victory over death. And then listen to what he says next. I am resurrection and life. I feel like you may disagree with it and that would be okay. I feel like we we focus on the first part of that so very often. Like Jesus being resurrection that we have victory over death, which is true. We can miss hell and make heaven. We spend eternity with the Lord, which is true. But you know what Jesus says? He says, I'm life here and now. Right, I, I am what you're looking for. If you're looking for purpose, you're looking for meaning. And can I ask you something? Are you looking for hope today? We all are. Jesus says you'll find it in me. Life is a person. It's a relationship with me. I think the church, I think we miss that. I think we, we see Jesus as more help for our eternity instead of right now in the present. Right? I think, we, I think really what we, we wouldn't say it, but I think what we believe is, like, Jesus, I hope you're there when I die, but I got it right now. Because I know where life is. The truth of the matter is we don't. He's where life is. True life. His, his, his ways. Now, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's what he's, he's showing, a powerful statement. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, he asked her. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Right? Now, uh, when she's saying this, the long-awaited Messiah, she's saying, I believe that you can do anything and everything, right? You're the ultimate miracle worker. Now, let's watch what happens. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it, the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. Now, watch. Here we go. Watch this. I want to show you. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, here's what Martha said, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. Let's, let's wrestle with this for a second. What is Martha saying to Jesus? She's saying, you can't do anything with my brother now. Now, she had just said previously, yes, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. I believe you're the long-awaited Messiah. I believe anything you ask, God will do. But when push came to shove, did she believe that? No. She said, there's dead things in my life that you can't do anything about. Now, this is not load up on Martha Sunday. It's just it gives us a glimpse into our own life. Let me just tell you about me. That has been my life. I would have told you with a Sunday school answer that I believe Jesus is resurrection, but I also believe there are dead things in my life that, Lord, I don't think you can do anything about. That's a big belief gap, isn't it? It's a huge belief gap. And, and one of the things Jesus is doing is he's exposing her belief gap so we can see ours. Then Jesus said, did I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Again, he's trying to close that gap. He's saying, Martha, here's what I want you to see. If you would trust me, you would see the glory or the power, the weight of all that God is. That's what glory means. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, most notably who? Yeah, to close the gap, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, I love this last part, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can I tell you something today that I believe about your life and I believe about mine? I believe that's what the Lord wants to do in our life. Give us freedom. Let us go. Take these grave clothes off of false beliefs. And let us step into the freedom that is ours in Christ. Listen, do do you agree with me? There is more freedom for you to live in than you are currently living in as a follower of Christ. Would you believe that? One of the reasons we're not experiencing the fullness that the Lord has for for us is because there's a gap in our beliefs. So if you could give me just a couple minutes, I want to look at a couple belief gaps in this story that I have wrestled with, and I I wonder if you've wrestled with them too. Here's the first one, closing the belief gap. Let's think about the first one. We've got 12 minutes. You got 12 minutes in you? Right, cool. All right, here we go. My Sunday school belief, or a Sunday school belief that I've had all all my life really is God loves me, right? I sang it as a little boy. Jesus loves me this, uh, no, for the Bible tells me so. So it's a Sunday school answer that says God loves me. I have formally believed that. But what I have lived out is this. My daily belief is God's really disappointed in me. To be honest with you, I spent a bunch of my life believing that. Now, I would have told you that God loves me, but what I really believe is God is mostly disappointed in me. In fact, I've said it this way. I would have told you that I believe God loves me at times. I just don't think he likes me, right? Now, there's a, there's a problem with that. Look, look at John chapter 11, verse 5. And I don't know about you. I'm just being honest to share. Do you see the belief gap that I had? And if any of you have this, then you can come along with me. Do you see the belief gap I had? God loves me, but what I really believe is God's disappointed in me. Do you see the gap there? Look at John eleven five 5 again. I want to show you something. Now, who writes the gospel of John? Not a trick question. John. There you go. Good, right? John refers. He was the youngest of the disciples. John referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus Loved. I love that. John has this incredible confidence. He's, I'm the one Jesus loves. I just want you to know that about me. But watch what he says in verse 5, 11, 5. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John, John is saying that Jesus has the kind of love he loves us all like we're his favorite. Have you ever been anybody's favorite? There was a guy in the last, our first service, he said, no. It's 
kind of painful. Um, it feels good to be somebody's favorite, doesn't it? Um, I have uh, I shared this in the first service, and some of my cousins were listening. It was they needed to hear this, though. Anyway, so, um, my, my grandmother, she's gone to be with the Lord. I was her favorite. I, I mean, I was. She told me right a couple times, and I knew she was. I mean, I knew I was. And doesn't it feel good to be somebody's favorite? I mean, right? I mean, that's one person. I knew I was her. I knew I was her favorite. And now she's gone on to be with the Lord. We're cleaning out her house, and uh, Amy and I got her kitchen table. I've sat at that kitchen table hundreds of times. You don't get a body like this without putting the time in there. So I, that table is so important to me. And that table's at the bottom of my, my steps when I come down into our den, my grandmama's kitchen table. Listen, you can come take my boat, but you can't have that table. Because every time I walk down my steps every morning, I see that table, it reminds me of her. And I'm just reminded I was her favorite. Doesn't it feel good to be somebody's favorite? Yeah. Now, don't come take my boat. That was just an illustration, right? <laughs> Here's, here, here, here's the thing. Can I tell you something? If you're in Christ, you're his favorite. But most, let's be honest, most people don't, don't really believe that. We might say that, but we don't really live that out. Why, why is it that we don't live that out? Here's one of the reasons, and it's how we close the gap. God's love for you, listen to me. If you're in Christ, God's love for you has nothing to do with your performance. That, that's why I spent so much of my life thinking he was disappointed with me because I felt like on some days when I, when I honored him, when I obeyed him, he loved me, uh, loved me you know, well. And then other days when I had a bad day, then he was disappointed in me. I thought God's love for me was dependent upon my performance. It's not. It's completely, 100% unconditionally. God couldn't love you if you're in Christ. God couldn't love you any more than he loves you right now in this moment. You're his favorite. And, and let me just tell you, we could stop this message right here. And that, if you really got that, it would make a huge difference in everything. It would change the way you worship. It would change the way you live. It would change the way we, we, we deal with so much insecurity and sh- struggle with our uh, identity, right? Identity issues, is that true? That's not a bad, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not beating anybody up. I think that's just reality, right? We have a lot of anxiety relative to that. When we understand we're his favorite, it begins to change everything right? But there's just such a gap there, isn't there? There's such a gap there. Then we know that's true at one level, but it's so hard to, to live that out. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, which is Christ, to be sin for us. In other words, to take on our sin so that in him, meaning through our faith and trust in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God sees you. He sees you with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Right? The Bible says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Your sin didn't keep him from dying for you. Your sin and mistakes that we make as a life of a believer doesn't keep him from loving you. He couldn't love you any more than he does right now. And what would it be like? Can I ask you this before we move on? What would it be like if you just got honest with the Lord and said, Father, would you help me close the belief gap? I know that you love me unconditionally kind of intellectually, but on a daily basis, I have a hard time living that out. And on most days, I believe you're disappointed in me. Help me see as you see. And listen, as that gap begins to close, levels of freedom that you've never experienced before in your life will come into your life. Let's look at the second one here. My Sunday school belief is God is in control. We say that God's in control. All things work together for the good. For those who love the Lord are called according to his purpose. I'm going fast because I'm running out of time. We might say God is sovereign, right? We would say that. God's in control. Do you believe that? God's in control. But listen, let your Lazarus happen. Doesn't feel like he's in control, right? 
That's where Mary and Martha were. God, you're in control, but then Lazarus dies. Sure doesn't feel like you're in control. When the relationship ends, it doesn't feel like God's in control. When the diagnosis comes, it doesn't feel like God's in control. When the job loss occurs, it doesn't feel like God's in control, and on and on and on. And we say, yeah, God's in control, but then practically we live life out like, I'm not sure that you are. And in fact, our daily belief sometimes is this. We say God's in control. That's a formal belief or a Sunday school belief, right? I'm using those interchangeably. But my daily belief might be God's punishing me for something I've done in my past. That's why this happened. Or, God, you're just powerless to do anything about this thing in my life. Or, God, you're just indifferent to what's going on in my life right now. Do you see that? All those, all those things. Look back at verse 6 again. This is where Mary and Martha were. This is certainly where Martha was. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That seems like he's disinterested, doesn't it? Instead, it was a part of a divine purpose. How do we close the gap? from saying, God, I believe you're in control, and really on a daily basis, even in the hard times, believing God's in control. How does the gap close? Here's one way. Realize that you only see one scene of the movie while God sees the end from the beginning. That's what John eleven four 4 is about. Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do, right? It's not going to end in death. God's going to be glorified, and ultimately the Son of Man's going to be lifted up and glorified. He sees the end from the beginning. In 1993, you guys, I don't, uh, I don't know if you were born in 1993, killer movie, 1993, called Cool Runnings. You ever seen it? Yeah. You guys seen Cool Runnings? Great movie. Uh, let's watch a clip from Cool Runnings. Anybody up from that? You guys aren't listening to me anymore, so let's go and watch a movie clip from Cool Runnings here, and then we'll make a point and come back and wrap this thing up. Here we go. Wait. You're Doris Bannock, right? That's me. Oh. I hope I make the team. It would be a real honor to run with you. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. There is Hey, good luck to you too. Runners, take your marks. Get set. First of all, this movie is based on a true story. Doris Bannon was the Usain Bolt of his day. He was going to win the 100 meters and go into the Summer Olympics to represent Jamaica. But here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever found yourself just laying face down on the track wondering, God, where are you? You see somebody else crossing the finish line that should have been yours. You ever been there? And you ever wonder, God, are you punishing me? God, are you just not powerful enough to do anything about this? Or worse yet, do you just not care? And that's when it feels like, yeah, God's in control, but it doesn't, don't really feel like he's in control. And I don't, I'm not really sure that I believe he's in control. 
So what closes the gap? Well, if you've seen this movie, I don't want to ruin it, no spoiler alert, but it's been out since 93, so if you haven't seen it by now, chances are you're not going to see it, would be my guess. Uh, but they do make it to the Olympics. It's not the Summer Olympics. They make it to the Winter Olympics. They're part of a Jamaican bobsledding team. Uh, first Jamaican team to enter into the Winter Olympics is an amazing story, a true story, pretty cool. And so it kind of it ends with them uh, on the track there in, in Calgary, the bobsled track, and it's just a, just a really cool moment. But if you stop the movie there on that track with Teresa's head really in the dirt, it doesn't make much sense. But you see, as we think about our God, what we're going through right now, it may not seem good. It may seem like he's disinterested. As I take a look at John chapter 11, it reminds me it could be a part of a, a much bigger plan. And it reminds me that God's not through. He sees the end from the beginning. And if my make, listen, if, my, if I make my judgments about who God is by one scene in the movie of life, many times we miss the nature of God in a big way. And I think that's how we close the gap. Let's look at the third thing. My Sunday school belief is Christ is risen. Would you agree with that? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Indeed, we say that on Easter Sunday, right? We believe in a resurrected Savior. Do you say that? We believe that. I believe that, right? But my daily belief is, is, is sort of like this, kind of like Martha's. My daily belief is there's some dead things in my life that are beyond your reach, right? Do you see that? That's what was going on here when Jesus steps up and asks them to remove the stone and Martha shows her, shows her hand. She shows the gap in her belief. She had said that the Lord could do anything and everything and then she said, no, what? No, no, don't, don't do that because there's some dead things that are beyond your reach. And I just wonder today, listen, are there some dead things in your life that you really think are beyond the reach of the Lord? You see, if we're not careful, church, listen, if we're not careful, there's a gap between what we really say we believe and what we believe, isn't it? There may be some dead relationships. Some, some, somebody might be here. I've, I've thought about this all morning long. There might just be a couple here. You might be watching online, and it may just be one of you. And you would say that you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but then at the same moment, you feel like there's no hope for your marriage because you believe there's a dead thing that's beyond the reach of the Lord. Some of you, you, you may be here today, and there, there is just a, there's just a child that you raised, and they are running so hard and so fast from the Lord. Amy and I spent some time with the family that we love and have known for so long, and that was their story over the weekend. You know, and, you, and, and you're prone to believe, Lord, where are you? And that's a dead thing in my life that you can't do anything about. Here's the question. What would your life begin to be like if the gap between what you say you believe and what you really believe was closed in this area, that you would open every dead thing up to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe nothing. That doesn't mean I'm manipulating you to do what I want you to do. Because think about this. Think about it. If Jesus would have done what Martha wanted done, Martha would have missed out on a whole lot, wouldn't she? But I believe, Jesus, there, there is nothing, there's no dead thing that is beyond your reach. What would your life be like? Could you dream about that for a moment? What could your life be like if you believe that, right? Now, let's think about that. How do we close the gap? Just to summarize real quickly. Closing the gap really it starts this way. In light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe God still calls dead things to life. I believe that. Last thing. Some of you thought, I thought the last one was the last thing. This truly is the last thing. 
my Sunday school belief is Jesus saves, right? You got the T-shirt, got the bumper sticker, Jesus saves. You believe that? But my functional belief, my everyday belief is this, I better behave. In fact, you think your standing with God is based on your behavior and your performance. Uh, the first explorer we had of the morning today, there was a lady I just met her for the first time. I sat down at her table, and she said, I've, I've been here for a month, and I, I didn't know why God sent me here, but I knew I was supposed to come here. She said, I'm not trying to be weird. I just knew the Lord was telling me to come here. And she said, all of my life, I have believed that my relationship with God was based on my performance. I have just now finally realized it is completely based on his. And she said, I'm free. I'm free. Isn't that an amazing thing? My formal belief, Jesus saves, but my functional belief many times is I must behave. Look, can I talk about behavior for 20 seconds because this is so confusing for so many people? Here's what I believe. When I'm talking about behavior, I'm talking about godly behavior. I'm talking about obedience to the Lord, right? Listen, behavior is never a condition of your salvation. It is always a consequence of your salvation. Do you understand the difference there? God wasn't waiting for you to behave well enough before he loved you. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. You see? And so when we trust him, then he begins to change our behavior, right? Look what Jesus says again to Martha. Jesus said in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who, what's the word there? The one who, is it believe or behave? The one who believes, the one who trusts completely in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by, what's the word again? Believing, that word is to trust. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then what is Jesus' question to Martha? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, at some point here, there's a big gap many times between what we say we believe Jesus saves and then what we really believe. It's based on my behavior. Or it's a combination of both, right? Is there anything you could do to get to God on your own? If we go back to the Grand Canyon clips, is there anything you could do to cross that gap? Because there was a great chasm that was separated between you and God because of sin. We can't get to him. That's why he came to us in Christ Closing the gap spiritually occurs when this happens. When we have complete trust in the one who ultimately closed the gap, that's Jesus and him alone. We trust him and him alone. That's where freedom begins. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Father, thank you that your love for me is not based on my performance. Father, would you help me close the gap from what I say I believe to what I feel so very often that you're disappointed in me? Father, would you help me close the gap from understanding and believing that you're in control of all things, but then at times being spun out and thinking you're punishing me or you're powerless or you're indifferent? Father, would you help to close the belief gap for me there? Lord, would you help to close the belief gap in my life when I say that I believe in the resurrection, but yet I have so many dead things in my life that are closed off to you? 
And Father, for someone here who's watching online or with us today that has always maybe intellectually known that you save, but really they believe their standing is based on their behavior. Today, would you open their eyes and their heart to see that it was you and you alone that closed the gap through your sinless life, through your sacrificial death, and through your victorious resurrection, and they would place their trust firmly there today and be free. In Jesus' name.